Hey friend, welcome back to the podcast. If you've been tracking along with us for any amount of time, you know we're having crucial conversations. As some of these, you may not be super interested in, or you may not think that you need, but really we need to talk about these things. And so I've heard a lot of talk in the last, I don't know, five years about millennials, most of it not good, but here's the issue. I'm actually a millennial. And we have a conversation today with another millennial who actually was born the same year as me and who sits right in the space in between generations. We grew up on analog and yet we're living in a digital world. There's many things that we are processing differently than some of the younger millennials, which is why I think that gives us a unique vantage to kind of banter back and forth on some things. We talk about some topics and some trends. And what I think is cool about this conversation is not just the accent, although he has an amazing accent, but I talked to Benjamin Wendell, who lives in Brisbane, Australia, from the vantage of a pastor, from the vantage of a church who is reaching millennials, but also as a millennial himself and me being a millennial myself. We've heard all the negative conversations and all the concerns that the world has about millennials and the down talking and and all of that. But actually, we just want to say, how can the church effectively engage with and reach millennials? That's the conversation we have today. That's the conversation I'm interested in having and hosting and curating and around many a campfire, around many a cup of coffee. Those are the kind of things that we're having. I think there's some misconceptions about millennials that Benjamin addresses. And he also has written a white paper. He talks about eight different areas we must engage in churches. And some of those will surprise you. We're going to go over many of those. But I think this is one of those crucial conversations, something that we just need to keep talking about. Enjoy my conversation with Benjamin Wendell from Brisbane, Australia. Benjamin, welcome to Right Side Up Leadership Podcast, all the way from sunny Brisbane, Australia. Good to have you, man. It's so good to be with you. Thank you so much. I feel like my brother from another mother with a way better accent uh, than I could ever put on. Um, Born the same year, so I'm excited to dig into that. As we talk about millennials and faith, you've written on a lot of different things, Um, and you have a unique perspective on that. You've spent some time living in the U.S., you currently reside and you are a pastor, writer, and life strategist. All right, man, I got to ask, what in the world is a life strategist? I mean, we just come up with fancy titles, right? It sounds great on LinkedIn, <laughs> I think. It sounds good in LinkedIn. I think when you're pastoring, you search for words to try and help people outside of the church make sense of what you do. And I think a part of that comes out of in Australia, I have a radio ministry you know, that reaches a lot of people and the audience is very mixed. And so if I present as a pastor in a culture that is highly secularized, honestly, Alan, a lot of people have no idea what that even means. And so trying to help people understand, look, some of what we do is help you make sense of your life. Uh, That's where that phrase comes from. Mm, That's good. I find that when I enter as a coach, I'm doing deeply transformative discipleship and leadership work, and I get much deeper. People aren't guarded, and it's been really interesting, uh, depending on whether, you know, as I was pastoring and coaching, I would say, I'm a pastor and a coach. Sometimes I would say pastor, sometimes sometimes I'd say coach, but we would actually get to deeper conversations and get there much faster um, when they weren't guarded. So I I absolutely know what you're you're talking about there, but we're, we're getting to the same place. 
Um, but it's interesting how we can kind of go through different doors to, to get there. So interesting that you and I are born in 1982. Uh, as we said before this, it's a good vintage. It's a good year. But seriously, I think that we have a unique vantage as we're going to talk about millennials today that, that most categories would lump us in technically as millennials. Some have said zennials kind of right there on the line. Um, but how do you think that has shaped you sort of having a vantage as maybe cultural and generational hybrids? It's a funny thing, Alan, even, even just hearing you say that, that we're born in the same year, I feel an immediate connection like, oh, you get it because you would well relate to what I'm about to say. And that is, yes, we were born in a very unique moment in human history because our childhood was analog. We rode BMX bikes. I mean, you still may, you know, ride one in Colorado. <laughs> uh, we uh, know what a VHS video is. We had dial-up internet at some point in, in the 90s, but it was an analog childhood where life seemed simpler. And then at some point in our early teens, the world began the transition to the digital era. Why that is so important for us born in 82, is we understand both worlds. We remember life before the digital age. So we can relate to those generations. But we also were such early adopters of technology that essentially we have been raised around it our whole lives. And so, yeah, I think it's quite unique. So interesting. And you talk about that. There's a disconnect that I have with my kids in that my son's playing video games. But when we were kids, we were in the same room playing video games. So it was, you know, touchable, communal. Then let's go outside and play football afterwards. But when they're playing video games, they're decentralized playing video games. They're quarantined playing video games, but they are essentially together in their mind. So it is fascinating. There are parts of it that feel simpler. Of course, Parts of it weren't as good as we imagined it, right? Back in the good old days, uh, you know, back in 92 or wherever we're referencing. So that, that's a good context and kind of phrase to this. You've written a white paper on millennials, and that's what we're going to dig into today. But I'm curious, what led you to spend time in research and, and writing this white paper on millennials? I mean, for me, it's deeply personal. Um, I'm not sure if you can relate to, to this, Alan, but... I think of my friends that I was raised with in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. And almost everyone I know of my just relational circle, just talking personally, like, yes, the data is there. You know, the research that Barner has done, that 64% of millennials and Gen Z will walk away from the church. We know the numbers are overwhelming. But for me, it's it's different to that. It comes from a, a very personal place. And so watching my friends walk away from the, the church, struggle with their faith, and now being a senior pastor for 12 years, seeing that play out, I wanted to write on it because I think that a lot of where I see the conversation about young, let, let's call us young people, right, or next generation, or what I like to say is new generations, I, I'm not sure that we hit the true epicenter of what's going on. And I'll just give you one example. And I, I use the phrase cool church. And I remember when there was so much coming out about how to modernize your church, upgrade your stage, as if to say that 
you know what? All these millennials are leaving church because if you could only make it cooler, they would want to stay. Now, as a millennial myself, when I saw that, and as I've seen that now work its way through church culture, I would say this, man, out of all of my friends that have walked away from the church, I am yet to this day to hear somebody when I ask them, hey, like, how come that didn't work out for you? I'm yet to hear somebody say, um, you know what? The, the church's Instagram feed wasn't cool enough. Mm. Hey, you know what? The stage, if, if only the church had more moving lights, I would still be there. Uh, if, if only it were more fashionable, if only the production were better. It's like, no, we've seen all of those things. And there is cool church fatigue. And what that has led to is in a superficial culture, we now have new generations that are searching for depth. And I'm not rallying against the modern day church. I pastor a modern day church. We have the lights and the production, but it's only a very distant secondary kind of aspect to church life. And as, as a pastor, I understand this. That's, that's neither reaching people nor keeping people. The issues that millennials and Gen Z are wrestling with are issues of theology and substance and church culture. All right. So much there, but I want to dive in. I want to do kind of a uh, hit a couple of the topics you write about eight particular areas with millennials. I'm fascinated on all of them, but I want to dig into a few. The first, you talk about use of technology and social media. Where do you see that uh, combining or colliding with millennials in the church? Well, I guess right now, um, it's obviously something that's helped sustain um, churches. But when I wrote this generational trend, that there is a convergence of online and offline, it was pre-pandemic. And we are now seeing that play out. And the reference point that I use is, for example, the NBA 2K League. When I first saw that, Alan, referencing again my childhood, 82, I'm like, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I can join an NBA team and never step foot on a hardwood court, but be recruited to a professional basketball league because of my video game skills. Now, I have three sons, and this blows my mind. My sons not only talk about wanting to make the NBA, like we all talked about when we were kids, they talk about being a 2K gamer, like it is a legitimate (laughs) path in life. And so for generations who have only known digital and technology, true millennials, and for sure Gen Z, their worldview fundamentally starts at a very different place. And they do not see the same points of separation between what we would say as real life and technology. For them, it's all mixed together in the pot. So funny. It's like for them, I mean us, I mean, who are we talking about here? But yes, uh, collaborative organizational culture. Talk about millennials and collaborative organizational culture. Well, um, I think that, let me put it this way, Alan. Um, The theology of church authority has caused a lot of cultural challenges within church life that generations react to. 
i.e. spiritual authority means the leader maybe has the right and maybe even should speak down to people. The idea to me of leading collaboratively means that as a pastor and a leader, I willingly want to bring myself beside the person that I'm leading. And so, yes, it affects organizational charts, but I think in a much deeper way, it talks about the culture or the posture in which we lead from. And so collaboration is what these generations are used to outside of church and helping form, I use the analogy of circles versus ladders. A ladder is a top-down approach. Helping form circles, helping find realms of collaboration is a great thing to engender involvement from these new generations. Mm -hmm. So spiritual discipleship, there's a lot, you, you mentioned Barna, there's a lot that's been written about spiritual discipleship, more coming out about kind of what millennials are looking for. And you talk about depth in spiritual discipleship. Explain a little bit more that hunger in millennials for that depth. They have been over-marketed to, and so they can spot it a mile away. We can't brand ourselves out of this. We can't just mess with the veneer. We can't just bring in a branding company or refresh our stages. We've got to go deeper in what really matters. And I find this fascinating because in some ways, what I'm saying is it's a throwback to earlier eras and generations to say, we've got to go back to depth in discipleship. We, we, can't, we can no longer afford to not take that uh, so seriously and central. And the millennials and Gen Z that I pastor and working with other pastors on this issue, the hunger to want to not only learn more about the Bible, but learn how to read the Bible for themselves and learn how to be self-readers and self-feeders is one of the most important skill sets that we can give these generations. Agreed. Uh, facilities. I was su most surprised to see of the eight that you wrote on, the facilities made the list. Explain what you mean here. Looking for facilities that represent your culture. Uh, do you have a favorite cafe, Alan, <laughs> where you oh, get yeah. your coffee from? Oh, man. Name one. Next time you're in Colorado and you <laughs> hop the pond, I'm taking you to my six right, favorite man. coffee shops here in Colorado Springs. All right. Okay. I can tell we are already friends. Uh, now, you tell me, right? You will drive past the more glamorous places to find a good cup of coffee <laughs> and a place that represents who you are. Uh, I mean, there's a place near me and it's like uh, I'll drive past these larger franchises to, to get there. And not only does the coffee speak, but to me, the authentic surroundings speak. And so the facilities communicate a narrative. The moment somebody walks into a building, and this comes out of the fact that I am a practitioner myself. I'm a pastor myself. I'm not speaking about this theoretically. It's very real to me. Uh, people make micro assessments of a culture the moment they pull into a parking lot. And so for facilities, we have 
historically put such an emphasis in the auditorium, and I'm advocating for a renewed emphasis in the foyer and cafe, because that helps bring people together. It's relational. And if you're serious about reaching millennials my age, like the older millennials, you need to have an obsession over children's ministry and kids' facilities. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting because as you as you picture millennials, people probably don't picture us. Um, so I've got a 17-year-old yes. and a 12-year-old and nine, seven, but that puts me in all kinds of different age categories as a parent, having all kinds of different conversations as a parent. And so I'm not your typical millennial in terms of what I'm looking for. So that's interesting that you you talk about uh, kids ministry. Also, interesting, not lost on me that people said, you know, just wait till millennials are leading things, right? Not second chair, not just startups or solopreneurs, but actually leading companies, organizations, churches, nonprofits. And here we are. We we are in that moment. Things are changing. I think this helps explain some of those things that are changing. And I've got to dial in on your last one. You're talking about social engagement over political engagement. I'm so fascinated for you to look, maybe the brutal truth. You have, I'm sure, been watching uh, our country and I'm sure have some thoughts on it. Can you shed some thoughts on how you've seen political engagement over uh, social engagement hurting the reputation of the church? Really? Has something been happening in your country, Alan? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll send you a few thoughts later. It's uh, just a couple things, you know, have come. But honestly, man, I am I am curious, Benjamin. Give me your thoughts on what you are seeing that really has has hit us just in the last six months. Oh man, it's it's such a hard one to talk about because, as you know, no matter what you say, it's it's interpreted different ways. What I will say is this: I wrote this you know, long before any election. Sure. And so I'm commenting on a broad level, but it resonates as more true to me now than yeah. before. Yep. When I talk about balancing social change with a politically skeptical generation. And so I make this suggestion, instead of making political statements, focus on the justice issues behind politics. Why? Because millennials and Gen Z are highly socially conscious. They want to see the church making a difference in society. And so we've got to figure out ways on how to speak into that without polarizing and dividing them by choosing a side or making political statements. And I think that takes a lot of care and a lot of pastoral nuance in the language that we use. Yeah, agreed. What's what's the issue below the issue? I'm curious in your research and kind of putting this together in this white paper, these eight things as you expanded it, what surprised you as you found it? Well, I've already talked about cool church fatigue. I think that's the most prevalent mistake that pastors and churches are making. But I'll give you another one which for me surprised me because I was expecting to find data that said, um, if you change this, if you do that, then you'll be addressing the problem. But when I discovered that in the last 100 years of Western human history, life expectancy has doubled. And 
As a result, we now have five living generations populating the same churches. Yeah. Now, that may seem like just an interesting footnote in a dialogue on reaching new generations, but actually it's central because it helps us understand why this is not just a church issue. You're talking about companies, organizations, I mean, you name it, are struggling with relating to multiple generations at the same time. My grandma fled Athens as a child, you know, after World War II. Think about the difference of the moment in world history she was raised in to you and I in the early 80s. It's fundamentally different. You then stretch that out over five generations. And then you ask this question, as a church and as a pastor or as a leader, how do I relate to all five at the same time? It's a challenge. There's no easy fix to this. And it's a much broader issue than the church. And the increase in life expectancy was a surprise catalyst for me in terms of what makes this such a complex area. Mm. Yeah, complex is is the word for sure. So take your, you know, kind of writer researcher hat off and, and put your local hat uh, pastor hat right back on. Uh, what are a couple of changes that you are making uh, this next year? A couple of focuses you're leaning into in 2021? Well, I I think that for me, putting my pastor hat on, you know, local congregation, real families, real lives, I am trying to lean into the places of pain in their lives. And so I am being as intentional with my sermon writing as doing things like this. I don't want too many of my words or main points to rhyme. I don't want too many of them to start with the same letter. I I don't want to create a narrative that says to people that um, if you're going through mental health problems, if you're struggling with depression, if you're feeling isolated, let me give you the clean, filtered, uh, every, everything will be perfectly fine within two minutes. So I, I'm using this verbiage, and it's a word picture, Alan. I'm saying use the side window. Use the side window in your communication. And what I mean by that picture is this. If you are a communicator as a leader or as a pastor and you have a strong point to make, you can either try and break the front door down (laughs) that may be barricaded because people are in pain and people are struggling and you can come at it from a place of strength or authority or you can search for openings. And that's why I use the picture of the side window. I'm talking about the tool of empathy. Empathy allows us to find openings of where I can come in and communicate to people in a softer way. And I think becoming familiar with the vocabulary of pain helps us during this time reach and relate to new generations. Mm, That's good. Benjamin, what are you dreaming about? What are you hoping is true in the next few years of the church? 
Well, you're in Colorado. I'm in Australia. I'm dreaming about the slopes of Colorado right now. I'm <laughs> and I'm dreaming about the warm beaches of Australia. So it sounds like we need to do a kind of house swap situation. Uh, we have the same hairstyle, so I think we could definitely do that. Uh, I'll take the, the, the flannel, and uh, you can take the T-shirt. It sounds pretty good to me. Fair. Um, I, I, I'm dreaming this, that this, this moment that we're walking through will become a generationally defining moment that is like an irritant in the oyster and that out of that comes something of great beauty and great value. Every generation has gone through something that they look back and say, that moment defines us. Well, for our generation, thank God it hasn't been a world war. Thank God for most of us, it hasn't been some kind of natural disaster, but there is a high chance it will be what we are walking through right now. And I think it's only in time we'll look back and realize the pearl that of great value that came out of this moment in human history. So I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic. I think that there's going to be amazing things that come out of this season of our lives. May it be so. I'll add a second to that one. Benjamin, awesome chatting with you. Uh, really appreciated the way you've put these ideas together. Very accessible. And honestly, as a fellow millennial, uh, I line up as I read through all eight of these that you can dig into more if you're listening to this. Um, I say yes and yes. There's some misconceptions addressed in there. Appreciate your work, your research, your radio ministry there in Australia. How can folks connect to what you're doing, what you're learning? and who you're influencing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, most of my resources are all available for free, including the white paper and my follow-up called The Promise of Pain on my website, benjaminwindle.com. Windle spelt like Kindle, benjaminwindle.com. Awesome. Thanks a bunch, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was helpful and I think even hopeful and I see and hear in Ben a heart that says we want to reach more millennials. I am tired of seeing friends who have walked away from the faith, walked away from the church, or maybe just are bored at church and who just feel like the church is not a place that is scratching where I itch, that talks about social issues, that really is thinking about how the teachings of Jesus, how the scriptures, how worship translates into our everyday life and into our communities. So I love this conversation. I think it's good. If you know someone, maybe who's struggling to understand you as a millennial or millennials around you, would you just share that with them? Just drop the box down on your phone and you can just text that to somebody, copy the link, share it. And again, as always, if you guys like this podcast, if this is adding value to your life and leadership, would you please just leave us a review? It takes about 30 seconds, but it helps us to get on more people's radar. Guys, thanks for listening. We are so grateful for you. You keep this podcast in front of other people. Thank you for those who are sharing it. We're just so grateful for you guys. Thanks that you would tag along for another episode of the podcast. More good ones coming at you. We'll catch you next time. So long.